Feel free to take a seat. Joy is going to come and bring our reading for this morning. We are carrying on with our summer teaching series, picking out a few bits of history over 2,000 years. But first, John 15, these are the words of Jesus for us today. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Thank you, Joy. Quick question as we begin. Would you rather, you've got three options. Would you rather, people rolling their eyes already. Would you rather... Spend five minutes uncontrollably crying, really awkwardly, really publicly um, embarrassing situation. Would you rather do that? Or would you rather walk into number 10 Downing Street for five months and blag it as the Prime Minister? Or would you rather spend five years full-time studying early medieval English history? Let's have a quick poll. Some of you would like, yeah, love the history. Others of you, "Mm, quite fancy having a go at Prime Minister. Um, I don't think any of us would last longer than five minutes before, uh, five months before they booted us out. Others of you would avoid those two horrendous options. Just take the five minutes of humiliation. That's fine. Okay, who want, who would take the crying in public? Who'd take five months as prime minister? Um, and who would take the studying history for five years option? What a treat that would be. We've got a compromise to keep everyone happy. Compromise solution this morning. Instead of five years, we're going to spend just probably 25 minutes or so on early English medieval history. The upshot of that is it's going to give us some um, tips on how we might become a prime minister. And the um, no one has to cry except I'll tell you about the time, about five years ago, when I found myself five minutes very awkwardly, uncontrollably, very publicly crying Come to that in a minute. Uh, But we are travelling back 910. If you wound back the Earth, its laps around the Sun, wound that back 910 times, that's where we've got to for today. We are continuing our summer teaching series called Heroes, dropping in on church history over 2,000 2000 laps of the Sun um, since Jesus walked and died and rose again and ascended. And ever since, people have been working out what are the implications of what just happened. Uh, what is the invitation to us to follow Jesus with our lives today? 
But 910 laps ago, in the year 1110, up in North Yorkshire, in Hexham, a chap, a little baby, little baby called Aylred, was born. Fairly well-to-do background. He looks set for a life serving at court uh, to the Scottish king. But then a most remarkable thing happened when he was 22 years old. Twelve French monks turned up in North Yorkshire. They'd been, they were sort of arriving on a mission from uh, Clairvaux Abbey in the forests of Burgundy, these Cistercian monks in their white robes. And their mission was to found a new abbey up north somewhere. They got as far as the river Rye, the banks of the River Rye in North Yorkshire and thought, this will do quite nicely. And this is the spot that they found. This is, of course, Revo Abbey. Anyone been? Quite a lot. Fantastic. So this is, this is going to be good. I've not been. I've just seen the photos. It looks nice. Um, just two years after they arrived, and they probably had a little wooden scout hut set up about that time, um, Aylred signs up, he's 24 years old, he puts on the white robe, and um, this is for him, and he gets his hands dirty. These were the sorts of monks who got their hands dirty, and probably their white robes dirty. Physical labor, they believed in this. The, the days were spent in a sort of combination of Gregorian chants, contemplative prayer, and hard physical labor. No less than three times in the course of the 12th century, these guys diverted the course of the river Rye. Rye, is that how you say it? Looking to my Yorkshire friends. Um, to make room for their ever-expanding building projects. So Elred grew up here. When he was 37, he got voted in as the next abbot of this up-and-coming um, abbey. It grew under his leadership. He did it for 20 years. Then at the age of just 56, um, the winter of 11, 67, 66, 67, snuffed him out, and that was Aylred. So what was it, what was so cool about this guy that we are remembering him today? Not just his name, which sounds a bit like something out of Lord of the Rings, I think. Um, what was so cool about Aylred? It isn't the fact that he stands as the patron saint of kidney stone sufferers. There is a, um, a contemporary biographer of Aylred who who says, um, d- vividly describes the, um, the agony that, that our man Aylred had in passing stones the size of beans. He doesn't say which type of bean, um, so could be terrible. Uh, and um, he suffered with colic as well. He paints this quite sad picture, really, of the ageing Aylred huddled on a mat next to a fire, rubbing his little skinny limbs to try and... Um, Save off the um, save off the cold, and uh, he had a colic, this cough that that racked his breast. Poor guy. That's not the reason we remember him. The reason we are talking about him today is that he had this theological insight that um, speaks to us today. It stretches out possibility in our imaginations. It's not just sort of some fascinating. All of this stuff, I hope, is not just fascinating sort of historical entertainment. Actually, the purpose of it all is to stretch out possibility in our imaginations as to what it might look like for us in Worcester, of all places, in the year of our Lord, 2016, to be following him. Uh, And Aylred's theological insight, which he 
had, which he wrote about, which he lived out, encouraged in his community, um, speaks to us today. So, the prevailing monkish assumed wisdom at the time was the typical monkish thought of the day had that the the sort of direction of spiritual maturity, um, the spiritual aspiration was, for those who were strong enough for it, what you were aiming at really, the ideal was the, the solitary figure in the desert place, poverty, chastity, obedience, free from all of the other sort of distractions in life to focus on your one true love. The whole monkish thing had begun, after all, with the desert fathers back in the day. Um, This is what they were aspiring to. And the idea was that as you got rid of those distractions, you were able to intercede for the world, um, and you were able to sort of rid the corruption of the world in you. The rule of St. Benedict, which was sort of big in the time, um, for example, says this, After a long probation in a monastery having learnt in association with many brethren how to fight against the devil, then go out well-armed from the ranks of the community to the solitary combat of the desert. So that was, that was where you aspired to. Against this prevailing monkish wisdom, our man from North Yorkshire, he said no. Actually, and he wrote this little book, he wrote about it in this little book called On Spiritual Friendship, uh, which you can just a few clicks and you can read it for yourself. It's not long, it's pretty cool. It's set as a conversation between three friends. I like things like that in self sort of embodying something. Anyway, in his book he says this, no medicine actually is more valuable, none more efficacious, none better suited to the cure of our temporal ills than a friend. Those whom friendship joins together, it immerses in the contemplation of God he said. And this was his profound theological insight, that he who abides in friendship abides in God, and God in him. So spirituality, this stuff, is not, it's not about me and God. Actually, just as much it's about this life of love that we get on with living with those all around us. As you might have recognized from his paraphrase at the bottom there of 1 John 4. He's just lifting this stuff straight out of scripture. In John 15, Joy's gone, but she read it earlier. Uh, uh, it, the setting of John 15 is the Last Supper. Jesus is round the table with his friends, um, the ahead of, you know, just a day ahead of before of all that was before him. And, um, and he said this, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And no one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing but I have called you friends because I've made known to you everything that I've heard from my father. Two quick observations on this. Firstly, notice, I think we've got the text on the next slide. 
And then if you go on to the next one, you will notice, just as Aelred did, the simple logic of this text. Abiding in his love equals keeping his commandments. What are his commandments? That we love one another. <laughs> Furthermore, Jesus' love is friendship is tied in with this. You're my friends if you do what I command you. It's pretty straightforward to see and notice. Abiding my love equals keeping my commandments equals loving one another. Why? So that your joy may be complete. Jean Vanier, you might have heard of him, another one of my heroes. I think he's still alive, only just probably. Um, He's spent his life setting up and living in communities that are set up with and for uh, people with disabilities. And he comments, he's got this commentary on uh, John's Gospel, and he, he comments on this passage, he says... There is no greater joy than to know that we are valued, precious, and loved by God, to at last find the place of total rest for our, for our hearts to be with him. Then in the very next sentence he says, There is no greater joy than to love people abundantly and to participate in the creative life-giving activity of God with a sense of divine life flowing through us. Which one is it? I love the way he just puts these two sentences right there, side by side, to express this dual vocation to joy that we have. To love God, to love others, to be loved by God, to be loved by others, to be friends with God, to be friends with each other. One inspires and resources the other. The the other makes real the former. They're like parallel lines. They go hand in hand. The second thing to notice about this passage is that Jesus makes this distinction between servants and friends on the basis of knowing. Verse 15, he says, I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. So now's the bit that I tell you about when I was crying in public. It was in our church in Oxford, where we were before um, we moved to Worcester. Um, big room, probably similar size to this, except it was set up sideways so that there was a kind of stagey bit there, and then it all wrapped around here. And this particular Sunday, it was a busy one. It was mostly full, which meant that the last remaining seats were down on the sort of side front row bits, uh, which is fine. Sort of me and Laura made our way in late, and made it down to this. The problem with sitting there is that you can, you can see everyone, everyone can see you as you're sort of kind of on the side, um, side of the stage, really. And um, that was fine. We didn't really know what was going on, but it turned out that that week um, uh, a good friend was up at the front saying his goodbyes because he was moving on. And uh, out of nowhere, really, I found myself just like uncontrollably crying and these big full-on hot tears are just falling down my face and this was awkward and uh, no one else was really crying <laughs> at all <laughs> but I was just like going for it what was going on much to my surprise I was realising how much I was going to miss this guy how much he'd meant to all of us this was someone I'd spent a significant amount of time with someone I'd shared a good number of hilarious meals with. Um, it was someone that I dreamed dreams with. 
And it was someone who more than a few times I'd bared my soul to. And this is someone who'd known me, all the warts and all, and yet he'd accepted me and he'd believed in me still and he'd loved me. And it turns out that when you're deeply known and deeply loved, that that's something worth getting emotional about. And in fact, Aelred would say, it's nothing less than the sort of deep friendship that ministers to us the love of God. It makes it real to us. And it's rare, but it's extremely precious. So much so that I like to think about that small handful of friends who possibly come into that category as my prime ministers. These are the primary ministers of God's love to me. The primary agents of God. They're given to me that they might help me grow more like Jesus. They challenge me and they cherish me. They nurture me. And when they need to, they nudge me. It's precious. They're prime ministers. That's how valuable they are. That's how significant I think this friendship thing is for us. So who are your prime ministers? Just to help you out, this is Bestie Row in Texas. There's a group of friends, and they've been friends for years, and um, they realized that this was for the long haul, this, this doing life together. So they did something beautiful. They sort of, I don't know, rearranged their mortgages, I imagine, and bought this clump of land, a strip of land, and then they built these little cheap houses along this same strip of land so that they were all next-door neighbors for, um, I think they're still there. Now, how cool is that? Who would be on your row? That's the question I'm asking. This is a chance to just stop and notice who is around you. Who are the ones that love you reliably, who never gain at your expense, who aren't flaky, who sometimes sacrifice their sort of comfort to go for the awkward question that needs to be asked? Who are those ones? And let's notice who they are and realize that in them, God is working to change us and to shape us. And that's something awesome. Now, some of you have probably got your whole street allocated by now. Most of us will not have, have that gift um, clearly um, in front of us now. Don't worry. These people had been friends for 20 years before they sort of got to this, this stage. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's there to give you a vision, to stretch out possibility, um, to just consider the importance, the value, the prime ministerial value of friendship. Um, that's the monkish corrective that Aelred brought in to his day and age. And I think it's this, ah, oh, yeah, basic fundamental insight that we could stop, take notice of, and perhaps rearrange things accordingly. He's saying friendship is surprisingly important. It's nothing less than the opportunity to minister the love of God to somebody else. It's nothing less than the opportunity to have the love of God ministered into your life. 
So how can we become a prime minister? Real practical. I've got six quick tips for us. Um, the first one probably should be jo- it's not, but it probably should be join a small group. If you've got no clue where to start on all this stuff, that's actually a really it's like a tool basically for easing. You know, it's like a little petri dish of this. This could happen here. Um, so that, if nothing else. Join a small group. That's a decent place. Just give this stuff a chance. Number one, proceed with forgiveness, though. This sort of friendship I'm talking about is rare, risky. Um, you can't force it. You can just offer it. Um, it will certainly involve plenty of hurts and misunderstandings and stuff like that along the way. So it requires effort and it definitely requires forgiveness. People disappoint. Believe it or not, you will disappoint. And so unless we go into this stuff with a lifestyle predisposition towards forgiveness, we haven't got a chance. That's number one. Number two... Don't be afraid to commit. Um, and maybe even explicitly so at times. Uh, I think the, um, the whole godparent thing is a pretty neat mechanism for locking, the, locking in a couple of friendships. On the flip side of it, maybe think twice before relocating every couple of years for your job. The implications on friendships are not to be taken lightly. Number three, have best friends. Sometimes we're nervous of, of that. Understandably so. It would have been quite understandable for the monks to be like, no, no, this sort of stuff is a distraction. And obviously, as we've known, just the whole like clique thing sets off and people feel left out and favoritism and it wreaks havoc within our community. Actually, Aelred said, it's, no, 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 we've got, to, we've got to go for this. You've got to hold it against a generous hospitality, a, a kindness, a welcome to all, absolutely. But actually, the sort of spiritual friendship that he's talking about is not the stuff that you can enjoy with everyone. Actually, you can't really expect it with many at all. Um, have best friends. It's, uh, it's, it's important to say that. Number four, share the mundane. Not, it's not all about the intense conversations um, actually uh, share the mundane there's this really thoughtful blog site that I like called Spiritual Friendship itself modelled, taking its inspiration from Aylred of Revo and on their sort of banner at the top they've got a picture of um, the Abbey, uh, anyway one of the writers on it, she writes this I'm longing for everyday intimacy I'm longing for someone who will crack jokes with me. I'm longing for someone who knows me well enough to, to know that I solve problems in my head before speaking them out loud. For someone who knows when to challenge that or when to just let me be. I'm longing for someone to share the highlight of their day, like, hey, I passed this miniature horse on the way home and I just thought how awesome it would be to have one as a pet. I'm longing to hear about someone else's day over dinner in the living room so that I'm reminded that the minutiae that I just obsessed about for 30 minutes is actually not the most important thing in the world. That's everyday intimacy. It's the stuff of friendship, of unrushed life overlapping times. Let's make space for that. Number five, invite the difficult questions. Dare to open yourself up. Not all over the place, but where you, where you are going, leaning into this sort of friendship, where you can find trust. Be transparent. Invite honest feedback. Let yourself be known, basically. Remember, that it's on the basis of the knowing 
that Jesus doesn't call us servants but calls us friends. Finally, number six, ask, how are you doing with God? Not just how are you doing, but it is about the deeper stuff too. Want to deeply and closely know the other person who is your friend. Care for them enough to sacrifice your own comfort and to ask the awkward question that needs to be asked. There should be another one. Oh, no, there's not, but it should be pray for them. That's the stuff that enables our heart to to grow and, and come to life. In all of this, all of this stuff, our model is not Ailred of Revo, who I'm sure was, you know, pretty pretty good at I'd hope he was pretty good at all this stuff that he was giving it all this about. Um, our model and our perfect friend is Jesus. Jesus forgives. Jesus is faithful. He commits. Jesus had best friends. Jesus shared breakfast. And Jesus longs to share more with you and have you share more with him. And he constantly prays for us. How good is that?